Man, I'm going to talk to you today about 20 reasons why we need Christian community. 20, 20, you're going to get to, I'm going to rattle through them. But let me just first talk about this thing called Christian community. We're really starting a series called One Another. We, and you might remember that name, One Another, from a series we did, I think, two years ago that we, we did that. And so we can call this One Another 2.0. You're going to kind of get some phrases that we're going to repeat. We're going to beat them like a, you know, we're just going to beat it like a drum until we actually all get aboard of this value in our church about what the, what the Bible mandates us to get involved in a thing called one another. This series is going to be about community relationships. Now when I use the word Christian community or community, a lot of you can get extremely frightened. Like, you know, I'm going to be asked to go into a small group and have to share my deepest secrets and I'm, I don't like talking to people about my feelings and they're going to ask me to read something. I don't want to do that. And no, I can't do that. I'm uncomfortable with people. I get the cold sweats, diarrhea. I urinate all over the place. I can't do that. <laughs> or you may be thinking, you're from the community, you know, I'm going to give up. I have to give up my, my home and the suburbs and we're going to have to go out and get on a farm somewhere and wear overalls and look like the Amish and live off the land. We just kind of live communal style. You know, that's what we're talking about. Or, or I got to I got to sell my home and I got to go way down the heart of the inner city and work in urban ministry and I got to do that and so I mean that's community we're just kind of getting embedded incarnated in that no hopefully we can erase all those fears about a thing called community but but and to grasp today a concept of why community is so very important and uh, I'm probably going to give you the strongest apologetic. You take good notes on this because it's going to it's going to help you. And when someone asks, says to you, "I, you know, I follow Jesus, but I don't follow the church," you're going to be able to give an answer to them why that is a wrong basis of their Christian walk. Now, let's look at this. <clears throat> and uh, I want to I'll read. I want to before I do this, there was actually a, a scripture I didn't catch on the slide that I want. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. There's a lot of scriptures I'm going to rattle off today because I'm going to move very fast, but this one I, I want us to nail down in our heart. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And it says this And let us take thought of how to spur one another onto love and good works. Now let's, let's consider, let's reflect upon how we are to spur or stir up or motivate one another to do two things. To make sure we fulfill the commandments to love people and to love one another and to love the world as God loves the world and to give ourselves to this thing called good works. Good, works has gotten a bad name. We're going to bring good works back into a good, good standing in the body of Christ. We're supposed to encourage each other to good works. And then, of course, the writer of Hebrews, that many believe is the Apostle Paul, goes on, and let us take thought of how to spur one another onto love and to good works, not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other even more so because you see the day drawing near. We are supposed to stir one another to love and good works. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to gather with one another. Now, we live in a, in a time when a lot of people who are naming Christ, probably in the millions in the United States alone, 
saying, you know, I, 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 it's about me and Jesus. It's, I don't, I don't want to be involved in the church. The church is of man. I'm just going to follow Jesus. And, and what, what they are doing is they're missing one of the main ingredients in God's recipe for spiritual growth. It's like eating spaghetti without garlic. Can you imagine spaghetti without garlic? I'm going to tell you what that is. It's called SpaghettiOs. All right. You're missing the point. It's like having a diet and having no protein in the diet. There's going to be no growth. It's interesting. I was told that post-World War II, uh, the Allied forces, and of course, in our occupation, we, we injected into the diet in Japan dairy milk. And because of that, the Japanese are much taller in the 60s and 70s than they were pre-World War II. Why? Because we injected something that caused growth in their diet, larger bones, because of protein. Regardless how you feel about milk, I'm lactose intolerant, okay, it worked, okay? You got bigger Japanese people than we had before because something got injected into their diet. There's something that people are taking out of their spiritual diet called the church, and it's stunting their spiritual growth. And it's just kind of me hanging out with, with Jesus. We're supposed to spur one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to gather with one another. Here, probably about eight to ten years ago, uh, I was in Haiti. And there was a brother in the church who was a good friend of mine, but he got into this thing where I'm not going to be a part of the church. I'm just going to follow Jesus. And, and I, I loved him, and I, I disagreed with him, and I loved him, but he's a, he was a good friend. And I'm in Haiti, and I'm in a Sunday morning service in Haiti, and I get a text on my phone. And the text says something like this. Just one report. It was to me, and it was to, to another brother that's in this church. I'm enjoying right now on the Oregon coast this beautiful golf course, God's creation, the sun's rising, it's beautiful, and I'm enjoying God's creation on this Sunday morning. And I text back, I'm sitting here with 500 of the poorest of God's people in the southern hemisphere experiencing his presence. Sometimes we've got to figure out what we want. Do we want to embrace what he's created or do we want to embrace him because I'm going to tell you where he's hanging out he's hanging out with his church so here we go you ready buckle your seatbelts 20 reasons why we need Christian community first one is this community challenges us to become more like Jesus how many people would say that's a good goal in your life okay well this is how you're going to become like Jesus Tony Evans Love Tony Evans. He says this, we need to be part of the church because it's the environment God has created for our maximum spiritual growth. Apart from the church, our spiritual growth is stunted. Because in community, I don't get to choose who I love and who I befriend. That's not an option in the church. I know we have different levels of friendship even in this gathering. But, I, but I, I don't have an option like, I love Pete, but I, you know, I don't love Sandy. I, I, I get to love both of them. Sandy, you're very easy to love, by the way. I just, it was just for the moment. You know, I should say, I love Sandy, but it's Pete that I really don't love. <laughs> candy. Arm candy? Is that what she called you? Arm candy? <laughs> I always love going to restaurants with Pete because all the waitresses want to serve us. Anyway. <laughs> 
I get better service when Pete's with me. Tamar really needs to be nervous. Hi, Risha. It's good to have you back into the service. It's good. I was talking about you. We were too busy visiting out there. You know, I, I don't get to choose who I love. I don't get to choose who I serve. I don't get to choose who I help. I serve and love and help those that are right in front of me. It's not a convenient thing. I don't get to do this in community. I don't do this when it's convenient for me. I do this when it's in front of me. When I do this when it's staring me in the face. I do this when I can't sleep at night because I ignored a need and I have to go back and I have to connect with that. In community, I have to do that. And in so doing, I become like Christ. If you notice Jesus in the Gospels, he was flexible. The centurion comes to him, you know, I know you have authority. Just, you know, speak the word and, you know, my, my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I'll, I'll come to him. The ruler of the synagogue's daughter was dying. I'll, I'll come. He was in the middle of a mob. A woman just got healed of an issue of blood. I'm coming. I'm coming. He just was able to come. He was flexible. He could get interrupted. He, you know, he, he lost his privacy because the crowd wanted his life. And if we want to be more like Jesus, but we don't want to be flexible with the needs of people, we're never going to become like Jesus. You can, you can slice it any way you want, but we've got to be available to people, and people some, sometimes that are, might not be our first choice of what to love, but they might turn out to become your best friend. Second reason why I need community is it meets natural needs. We all know Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. You've been around the church for a while. If not, it's really the first chapter of the history of the early church. The Bible says they devoted themselves to teaching, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, but they devoted themselves to another thing called fellowship. Now, to us, fellowship is coffee and donuts in a fellowship hall. But to them, fellowship was the sharing of all life together. They devoted themselves to community relationships. So much so that they sold their personal possessions and their property to meet the need of every single person in the church at that time. Because, see, this is what happened. The first church had a lot of homelessness in it. Because a lot of the converts were pilgrims from around the world when the Spirit was poured out on the Feast of Pentecost. So it would be like, hey, 3,000 people got saved. Yeah, maybe 1,500 of them were homeless. Now what do you do? We're going to go home, you know, and have some good pita bread and lamb. Be warm, be fed. No, it ain't going to happen. You're going to have to start selling property. We, gotta, we have a church we birthed. It's a church with a huge amount of needs. But they devoted themselves to one another, even to the place of sacrificing to meet the needs of other people. The third reason why we need Christian community is because community brings emotional support. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, chapter 6, excuse me, in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How many would admit with me that life sometimes gets a little bit overwhelming? I know we kind of went, like we, amen, Jerry? It's good to see you. You follow my counsel. You're here in church. That's good. I'm really talking to the crowd a lot today. I can, I can handle the heckler today, man. I'm on. <laughs> Life gets overwhelming emotionally. You just need a word of encouragement. You just need 
Sometimes I just need someone to dump on for about 10 minutes. I, I just need for you to allow me to be carnal for 15 minutes. Can we just get closed doors here? I want to cuss a little bit and yell, scream. <laughs> That's done. I'm done. I won't do it again, but I need to talk. I'm, I got something going on in me. You know, Jesus was that way. He just and he didn't cuss. I mean, I'm carnal. He's not. But he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he took three men with him. He said, my, my, I'm overcome with sorrow. Pray with me. I mean, we, we, we need one another. This thing is not me and Jesus slugging it out because Jesus wasn't that way. He needed his team. He needed community. We all need people who will carry the burden with us. And so what happens? This happens in community. The fourth reason is this. Community brings your spiritual gifts to the surface. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, as you are Christ's body and members of one another. You know, we're in an age where people are trying to find out who they are. You know, you got the greatest showman. we got the great song that I love, you know, This Is Me. Okay, we're all trying to figure out our identity, trying to figure out, and a lot of Christians, what is my call and who am I? What's my place in the body of Christ? I'm going to tell you how to find your place in the body of Christ. Start serving what's in front of you. And I'm going to tell you what's exactly what's going to happen when you serve what's in front of you. You're going to discover gifts that are in you. Because you're going to start serving people in the way God made you, in the way God gifted you. All of a sudden, you're saying, that person needs some wisdom. That person needs a word of encouragement. That person needs a word from God. That person needs prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to believe that that person's going to get healed. Tammy was telling me, was fighting serious cancer right now. She was telling me that, you know, we prayed for her this week, and she just felt there was a real turning taking place in her week because of our prayer. See, you start discovering your gifts when you start carrying the burdens of people. It's not that I have no burden for people, and I don't love people, I don't serve people, I'm going to go find my gift. It doesn't happen that way. You got the cart ahead of the, the, the horse. The horse is you got to start serving, you'll find out your cart. Gifts will follow love. Ministry will follow service. How was Elisha known? There was that Elisha who washed Elijah's hands. It wasn't like, hey, Elisha, woo, Elisha. He was a hand washer. That's what it was known. Everyone wants the, the ministry of Elisha. He was known as a hand washer. The person who preached probably one of the longest sermons in the New Testament was a deacon named Stephen. What did he do? He brought food to widows. He went from food to widows to signs and wonders to becoming the first martyr of the church. You want to find your ministry? Start by serving what's in front of it and you'll discover your gifts. The fifth reason community forces us out of self-absorption to look outward. Now I don't want to always admit this, but I think if we had a hard look at ourselves, that we would know that we're a little bit me-centered. How many people get grumpy when you're fasting? How many people are irritable when you haven't had enough sleep? You think, well, see, it was, that's a biological thing. No, it's a carnal thing. It's beyond your physical makeup. It's your attitudinal makeup. And I have the same problem. So I'm not here putting you down. We're in it together. God's got to constantly deal with me about me. And, and, and community forces me to look beyond myself. Come on, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 
Admonish the undisciplined. Help the weak. Comfort the discouraged. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Well, we were, we're, we're engaged all the time. You've got to carry the burdens of other people and fulfill the law of Christ. Community empowers your relationship with God. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know, just being around people, they sharpen my perspective. And they challenge me. You said that, Bob. I want you to think about this. I mean, being in Spokane at Livingstone Church with Van, you know, Nate McGoldrick. How many people remember Nate and Monique? Nate's an elder there. He's going to be the campus pastor of their new um, their campus. He's just doing fantastic. You'd be so proud of Nate. And he was talking to me here yesterday. And he says, you know, I love to study. I really like to go study. But then I like to get around a table with some guys and talk with them about what I study to batter it around back and forth. Because I feel like it balances me and it gets me sharper to what I'm thinking. You see what he's saying? He's saying, it's just not me having heavy revies in my closet. It's me checking out my heavy revies with the body of Christ and helping my skills be sharpened and my thinking be sharpened so I can be more effective in communication. I was so proud of him in that statement because that's what this is all about. We sharpen each other. Seventh reason why we need community is community meets our human need for love. Proverbs 17, 7 says this. It says, a friend loves at all times. You know, we all need love. You may think, well, I just need me and God. No, you know, really? Why did God create Eve for Adam? If that's all you need is him. That's a false assumption. You need his people. We need to be valued. We need to be wanted. We need to be accepted. We need to be received. We even need empathy with us in what we're going through. I was going to grab my, you would have been really impressed. I was going to grab my, my almond, not my almanac, my yearbook from my 11th, uh, my junior year in high school. I took a, we had a psychology class. We had a student teacher. and I wrote a paper, what I was looking for, because it was a big hole in my heart. The age of 16, I, I felt so lonely. I, I just broke down and wept all the time. I mean, it was a one-page paper that I wrote about what I'm looking for as I'm looking what love is all about because I don't have it in my life. And in my, no, in my yearbook, this student teacher wrote, Bob, I hope that you find what you're looking for. And I did right here. We all need to be loved. We all need someone who's going to walk with us and feel with us and encourage us. We're not meant to do without each other. The eighth reason why community is it brings emotional and spiritual healing through confession. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another. You know, in community, you don't hide. In community, you've got to be honest. In community, you've got to be transparent. In community, you've got to be vulnerable. You say, I need help. I raised my hand today when Pete asked about, you know, you've got something out of socket in your house. I'm going through something that I'm deeply troubled about. You raised my hand. I mean, the pastors can't raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm not in my A game. And then what kind of a church are we? We've got to be a place, but we've got we to do this thing together. We've got to... Press forward together. 
Come on, we're going to get healed through this thing. We're going to become real through this thing. The ninth reason is community gives you the skills to work through conflicts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I urge you to agree together, come on, he says, and to, and to end your divisions and to be united. Now, to do this, you have to be skilled at a thing called conflict resolution. And a lot of Christians are not very equipped in a thing called conflict resolution. Now, I love when people go away to retreats and they have a lot of inner healing and Jesus reveals himself to them and they come back and I'm just changed. But I find that they're not always changed because they still come back with poor relationship conflict skills. And they have this encounter with Jesus, but they get in a fight with somebody in the body of Christ as soon as they get back because they haven't gotten those skills. So here, a, a few years back, Bill Grable, who's the, who is the uh, father of Mark Grable in our church here, and uh, who was a real disciple of Dave Miners, he, he started a ministry called Peace Mentors to deal with relational conflicts in the church because of what he went through in his own personal ministry. And so, you know, he was, he was, he was helping us out with the staff and, but you know, how can I help you more? And I said, you know, if, if you really got something and you really want me to market you, you need to equip my elders. Now, I want to say my elders were all great men, just full of faith, loved Jesus, full of the word. You can look at what some of them have done in church planning. But it was nothing but a room full of alpha males. It was like a, a bunch of 900-pound gorillas in a cage. And it was intense. I'd come home sometimes, and they were my brothers. I loved them and loved them to death. And Sue says, how was your date? We will not talk about the date. The day is behind me, that door. What is ahead of us is Netflix, a good steak dinner. I'll even mow the lawn. I mean, I was, I was tired. I'd walk in and put my arm around because they were just, they were bulls. Someone likened our elders' meetings to just watching two people play tennis against each other, you know. I mean, it just, it just, it got very, very intense. And I said, Bill, I want you to dive in the middle of this thing. And I did. I paid him a boatload of money for two years, and he did. And we had to face ourselves, and we had to repent, and we had to get transparent, and we had to learn how to resolve conflict. I work with pastors, you well know, around the world, and I, I find pastors, even big churches, don't do conflict resolution very well at all. we got to do that. You know what happens when we do? The world is drawn to us, because they don't know how to do conflict resolution. It's interesting to me that once they resolved the conflict of the widows in Acts 6, the Bible says they began to multiply believers. I mean, people are looking for a church that can resolve conflict. The tenth reason is community provides you the opportunity to forgive others. Everybody said amen. First Peter 4 says, keep your love for one another fervent. Woo! Because love covers a multitude of sins. Not so woo. Well, David Young E. Cho said, I pray three hours a day because I pastor the world's largest church and I have many people to forgive. <laughs> Wherever you got people, you got conflict. You got people, you got tension, you got turmoil, you got sparks. Okay, that's why we, we want to press through this thing. We don't want to run from this thing. We're a running society. We're a press into society at the church. The eleventh reason is community causes us to grow in maturity as we do. Here, come on. The each other mandate, not the each other suggestion of the New Testament. It's a mandate. 
well, what kind of things does it mandate? Well, here you go. Let's look at these. We're to be devoted to one another, submit to one another, spur one another, bear one another. Bear one another. That means you've got to put up with them when you want to hit them. Bear. Instruct. Confess faults to. Honor. Comfort. Be hospitable to. Be kind to. Serve. Be compassionate towards. Love. Encourage. Forgive. Build up. Receive. Don't resist. Receive and exhort. Cheer them on. Encourage them. Move them forward. You and I are called to do all those things with the body of Christ. Community helps us see Christ in others. In Ephesians 1.23 says, Jesus is, the church is the fullness of Jesus that fills all and all. Man, it's the fullness of Jesus that fills all and all. People say, I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. You want to know Jesus? I want you to look to your left or your right right now. There he is. Look behind you. Or in front of you. There he is. You just, you just saw him. That's Jesus. No, I got to go to a cave. And, you know, I got to fast for a month. No, you, you need to see Jesus and what's here. I need to go on some pilgrimage. And I got to go to some conference. No, 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 no. You need to see Jesus right here. Scripture and verse. When you've done these things to the least of my brothers... You've done it unto me. You want to see Jesus? He's all around you right now. And it's not just that you're giving to him or her. It's that they have something to give you. They have something to give you. I came to Christ because I lived in an institution for three months called Rainier State School. And I was surrounded by 500 to 1,000 mentally challenged adults and teens. Most of them had born-again faith in Jesus. And I was so moved by their faith that I gave my life to Christ. Everyone has something to give the other. And we got to see Jesus ministering through his church. Community creates a lifestyle of accountability. You know, a brother is overcoming a fault. That means my, I'm held to a standard as a follower of Jesus, and that means you get to observe me in community, following that standard or falling short of that standard. And because of that, there's accountability, sometimes confrontation, sometimes discussion, not because we're judgmental. We're trying to help each other get across the finish line. Fourteenth reason, community provides a place and atmosphere for prayer and worship. Colossians 3.16. I, I like Colossians 3.16. And did you enjoy the worship service today? Wasn't that just fantastic? Come on. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How many people want the word of God to dwell in you? Here, here's one of the ways it, has, it come, comes across. Teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom. Singing. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. All with the grace in your hearts to God. So part of worship is actually teaching. Part of worship is actually we're feeding each other in worship. I've watched people worship and just their worship produces repentance in me just to see their sincerity before God. Something happens within me. But when songs come, Jesus speaks to me. 
It's supposed to teach doctrine, the things that we sing. That's what we try. We try to watch the words of the songs that we, we put up there. I, I talk, we're, we're, we're constantly in analysis on this. But there's an experience that goes way beyond just I sang a song. Now, there is, don't get me wrong, there is private worship. David worshiped, the Psalms were produced. There's, David went into the, the temple and he went into the tent. He worshiped when his child died. There, there's this personal worship that we have. But there is a place of corporate expression of worship. You are holy, Psalm 22, verse 3. You inhabit the praises of Israel. Come on, Acts 4, when they lifted up their voice, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can have your own private worship, and I, I do in my car, and I do in my barn, and I go in places where I kind of go in my own little cave and closet, and I, I have worship, but there's just nothing like worship with you. I can't sing the song of the Lord to myself. Be encouraged, Bob. Be encouraged. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. I can't do what Andrea did today. Raise your hand right now, Bob, to the Lord. I, I will do that right now. I can't have this little solo congregational experience. Well, there's just something when we're together, we're moved by worship, moved by the togetherness of God wanting to be with us. The 15th reason why is that community cultivates a servant spirit. Each of you, Philippians 2, 4, should not be concerned with your own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what we're called. Servanthood is the bottom line of Christianity. That guy's really becoming like Jesus. Is he serving? Now, you may not be in perfect attendance at church. That doesn't mean you're not serving. Is there a servant heart, life for people? Because if you're not serving, you're stunted in your growth to become like Christ. I'm stunted in my growth to become like Christ. The 16th reason is community protects the people of God from religious hucksters. You know, Ephesians 4.11 says that he gave some apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and, lead, and, and evangelists to equip the saints so the saints would do the work of the ministry. But it, did, but it also says this, they would, that they would not be tossed back and forth, you know, like a ship in a windstorm by the cunning craftiness of men and, 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 and false doctrine. They wouldn't be shaken by trends and fads Okay, but what they do, but building themselves up in love, every part does its share, they're connected, they grow into a mature body. I'm going to tell you what happens when we live ministry together, when we are on mission together, when we do life together in the kingdom of God. We start experiencing what the New Testament says is New Testament life. It's life-giving, and we see gifts in people and the anointing in people. And what happens is when someone comes along that they got the newest trend or the newest fad or the newest secret or, you know, that, that they're just the new anointed one. It, it just doesn't fit. Because we believe it's more important what you're a part of than the part you play. And when people come in, I always know I got a problem when someone comes to visit our church and they introduce me as, hey, what's your name? I'm Pastor John Fitzgerald. Okay, where's your church? I don't have a church. My pastor, John Fitzgerald. Well, if you don't have a church, you're probably not going to say that to them. You're not a pastor, but 
You know, they want meetings. We had a guy that introduced himself to me like that here about three years ago. You know, I'm this, and we did this, and we did this, and I want to see you. All right, so Chris, you know, get him in there. And so we had an appointment and sat him down, and, and he's telling me of all of his achievements. And I said, you know, listen to me. Man, this could be a great place for you. I'm going to lay out our philosophy. My team doesn't care what you've done. What they want to see is what you can do and function here. So you just need to know you're coming into that. That's what you know. And you may have great goods that can really bless our church, but you've got to come in from the bottom up. It's more important what you're part of than the part you play. Next Sunday comes up to me. I have a word for you. I said, okay. He says, the church is like David trying to bring the ark on an ox cart. Now, if you know biblical language, that means that I'm completely in the flesh and disobedient to the leading of the Spirit. I said, thank you. In my mind, I said, we're done. His wife made the, the mistake of going to Sue. Now, you think Sue is sweet? <laughs> but if you ever come against someone she loves, she will, she will shred you up and down, and there's going to be nothing left of you. And this lady said to Sue, this is the most unfriendly church I've ever been in. And what she received in about three seconds after that, she probably never will forget. I never saw them again. But see, when we live in community and we, we value one another and we see each other's ministries, we're not interested in a showboater. And we're not interested in quick fixes. Because we know that it's going to take work. You know I hate those infra, those, in, those infra commercials where they're on at midnight and a guy takes a pill and he has a little band around his waist and he looks like Mr. Universe in 12 weeks. You know, you know I hate that. Well, we got that in the body of Christ. You know, you're going to become spiritual and anointed. You just come to the seminar. No, it's going to be take work. It's going to take sweat. It's going to take repentance. It's going to take humility. It's going to take fasting. It's going to take each other connecting, helping us grow. Seventeenth reason, community is a healing agent for the outside community the church is called to reach. He has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I could help a few poor people in our area. I can witness to people, and I have. I've brought people in the church who are serving the church now. I can have my own evangelism, and I love the poor and help. But what can we do together? The resources we have together, the gifting we have together, the wisdom we have together, the money we have together, we can accomplish so much more. And when the church gets unified with a passion and mission to the city, what can be accomplished? Community is a witness to the world. Men will see their works and glorify your Father in heaven. They're going to see the works of a community, of people living out what this is, the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. Jesus said this, that they would be completely one. Just like I am in you and you and me, they'd be completely one so that the world would know you sent me. Salvation demands a corporate witness. No corporate witness, you're not going to see a lot of people get saved. Jesus said this, 
I pray that they would be completely one because if they are, people are going to start seeing the kingdom of God and they're going to start coming to me. 19th reason is community attracts the Holy Spirit. Attracts the Holy Spirit. You look at Acts 2.44, they were together and they held everything in common, it says. You look at Acts chapter 2, verse 45, they sold their possessions and distributed them to everyone who had need. Verse 46, they continued to gather together from the temple and from house to house. What happened? They got a thing called favor. The Holy Spirit says, I'm attracted to this. I'm attracted to their love for one another. I'm attracted to their sacrifice. I'm attracted to their community. I am attracted to their fellowship. I want to go hang out with them. Favor of God came on them, and it says, And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily. I want the Holy Spirit to be attracted to City Harvest Church. There, Psalm 133, it says, The Lord commands the blessing when we are dwelling together in unity. Community at last holds the church together in the face of persecution. Look at this scripture, Philippians 1.27. We're ending now. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Come on. In what way? Paul defines it. The gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear, here it is how we walk worthy, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not being intimidated in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of their destruction, but your salvation, a sign which is from God. What keeps us strong in persecution is us together. That's what keeps us strong.